Our reading this morning is from 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 8. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach your word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves, teaching to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already been poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Second Timothy is the second of two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, a young church leader. The first was written around AD 64, around 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then 2 Timothy was written about two to three years later. Paul wrote um, 2 Timothy from his prison cell in Rome, um, just before his own execution. And as he wrote this, he knew that his own life was coming to an end. So as you can, you can guess, this letter was personal, contained much reflection, wisdom, and advice. Although this letter was written to a church leader, it is so relevant to each and every Christian here today. Chapter 4 begins with this verse. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by the appearing of his kingdom. I sat down a week ago um, to start this sermon. I opened my study Bible, and four hours later, I was still in verse 1 and hadn't written the word. A good, a good preacher could do a full sermon series in this one verse. As I read this verse over and over again, the first thing that struck me was the one who is coming to judge both the living and the dead is the same wee cute baby whose birthday we all celebrated this week on Christmas Day. The same wee cute baby we all sing about lying in a manger. For a lot of people, that's as far as they're, they're thinking about Jesus goes. And they actually miss the fact that this little baby was God in human flesh who went on to live a perfect and, and sinless life before around about the age of 33 when he was arrested, he was mocked, tortured, beaten and crucified on a cross for your sins and for mine. And on the third day he rose again, defeating death and he's now seated in the place of honour at God's right hand in the heavenly realms, waiting for the time when it is right for him to return again. But the next time he comes, he'll not come as a defenseless little baby. Matthew 25, verse 31 says, When the Son of Man, Jesus, returns, he will come in all his glory with his angels, and he will sit on his glorious throne. You know, many of us see God the Father as the one who judges. But verse 1 here clearly tells us that Jesus is a judge. This is also confirmed in Acts 10, 42, which says, Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all the living and the dead. The common judgment is something that most people would rather not talk too much about. First one tells us that Jesus is coming to judge both the living and the dead. So there's no escaping judgment. Everyone will be judged. As I read this verse over and over, I started to look down the side column in my study Bible 
which cross-referenced this verse, the other verses in the Bible. And the Holy Spirit took me on a journey right through parts of the Old Testament and the New Testament, showing me verses, many of which I'd read on numerous occasions, but for the first time it was like late bulb moments for me when I fully started to understand what these, how, what these verses meant and how they connected the other verses in the Bible. And as I said, four hours later, I was still in verse 1. Just want you to know this morning that if you don't enjoy listening to this talk, I enjoyed writing it, so don't worry. The one thing I really love about preaching, it's definitely not been up front here in stage, but it's a fact that actually when you're given a, a, a topic to preach on, um, you have to set aside time to actually go and dig into God's word and really sort of try and get to understand it. This is what God wants us to do. He wants us to dig into his word for ourselves, not just to listen to other people preach it. He wants us to meditate on it. He wants us to feed on it. There's a big difference between studying God's word and just reading it. Can I just encourage you this morning, if you haven't got a life application study Bible, can I just go and get yourself one? I know they're, they're expensive, maybe 30, 40 pounds, but it's a lifetime investment and it's so, so worthwhile having. And this is maybe a great time to, to go and get one because people maybe have a few pounds left over from, from Christmas um, and from, from money people have given you. So go and get yourself a good study Bible. When I look at verse 1, we are told that everyone will be judged. But what we need to understand that the judgment for Christians and non-Christians is different. The following two verses are addressed to Christians um, and, and they taught, tell us that we will stand, as Christians, we will stand before the judgment seat of God. Romans 10, 14 says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And then 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This judgment cannot be confused with other judgments the scriptures talk about because in these verses, Paul uses a Greek word to describe the judgment seat of Christ. It's peculiar and different from the Greek word used in connection with other judgments. Here, the word used is bima. It appears in classical Greek to identify the judge's seat in the arena of the Olympic Games. The bima was a seat where the judge sat, not to punish contestants, to present awards to the victors. So when Christians stand before the bema of Christ, it will be for the express purpose of being rewarded according to their works. There is no idea of afflicting punishment. The judgment seat of Christ does not determine salvation. That was determined by Christ's sacrifice on our behalf and our faith in him. And as followers of Christ, all our sins are forgiven. And we'll never, we will never be condemned for them. Because Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As followers of Christ, this is great news that all our sin is forgiven and we are all going to be given, given rewards in heaven. But as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, these rewards are given according to what we have done in the body, good or evil. So let's look a wee bit more about what Paul mean, talks about in, the, in this judgment in 1 Corinthians 3 verses 9 to 15. For we are God's workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, 
jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work the builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So Paul's, Paul tells us that we are God's workers. And this happens from the moment we give our lives to Christ. Some people have this idea that once you say the, the sinner's prayer, that everything's all sorted and you can go and do whatever you want. But the scriptures clearly tell us that we are not saved by works, but we are saved for works. James puts it like this, and I'm reading this from the message version, James 2, 16 to 18. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved and say, good morning, friend, be clothed in Christ, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, sounds good. You take care of the faith department, I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, fit together hand and glove. Now, I don't know about you, but the idea of standing in front of a holy God with all my thoughts, words, deeds, and actions laid before me, burr, while Jesus is looking me in the face, scurs a living dead, he's out of me. When I stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ, I don't want Jesus to say to me, you have been saved like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. I want him to look me in the face and say the words from Matthew 25, 23. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I think these are the words that we all want to hear. Now, because we're limited for time this morning, I've only looked at a handful of verses um, this morning which tells us about the judgment of, for Christians. But there are so, so many more verses. And can I encourage you to go and do a study for this yourselves on the judgment seat of Christ. It might just amaze you what the Holy Spirit will reveal to you. So now we've looked a wee bit on how Christians will be judged, but let's see what judgment for non-Christians will look like. Again, the Bible's very clear about this in Revelation 20, 11 to 15. I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and the death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is a second death, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This is scary stuff, isn't it? The apostle John wrote the book of Revelation, and the one he saw sitting on the white throne is Jesus. And the dead who are standing before his throne are all those past and present who are spiritually dead. That means everyone who has not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. This judgment sounds really harsh, and many will question how a loving God can throw people into a lake of fire. But here's the truth. God did not create hell for people. He created hell for the devil and his demons. God wants us all to be saved. He loves us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for us to pay the price for our sins, that whoever accepts him and believes in him will not perish, but have 
everlasting life. See, we have all been given free will to make a choice for ourselves, whether to accept Jesus or not. Jesus is clear that if you choose to reject him, whether you realize it or not, you're actually saying with the devil. I'm going to read this. Um, this is uh, uh, the message for, or, or translation again, and it's Matthew 12, verse 30. It says, this is war. There is no natural, neutral ground. If you're not on my side, you're the enemy. You're not helping. You're making things worse. There are only two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. If you're not with Jesus in the kingdom of light, then the only other place you can be is in the kingdom of darkness. Satan's kingdom. Scripture tells us that Satan is a prince of this world in which we live. And if we follow the ways of this world, then we are rejecting the ways of Jesus. But when you give your life to Jesus, immediately you enter from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Your name is written in the book of life. From the moment you accept Jesus as your Lord, you're no longer spiritually dead because the Spirit of God comes within you. And when the Spirit of God meets with your spirit, new life is formed and you're born again. This is the good news of the gospel that people need to hear. And verse 2 from our reading this morning tells us that as followers of Christ, God's workers, we are to preach the word and be prepared to do this at all times, whether we feel like it or not. Occasionally I've had Christians say to me, don't you just wish Jesus would come back right now and take us all away from this broken world? I always say, no, don't. And it's not that I'm not looking forward to, to spending eternity with Jesus in heaven, but there's so many of my close family, friends, neighbors, and countless others who do not know Jesus and you, when we know what awaits them at the final judgment, we must do everything that we can to lead them in the relationship with Jesus. Now, when it says we must be prepared at all times to preach the gospel, I'm not talking about Bible thumping people or handing tra sticking tracks into people's hands all the time. But what I'm talking about is looking for openings and opportunities which you can share, where you can share Jesus with others. You see... Paul said, if Jesus is the foundation on your, in which you build your life, the more time you spend with him, with him, the more you get to know him, the more you will want to tell others about him. And believe me, he will give you many opportunities in which to do this. A simple way in the next few weeks that we can all reach out to our family, friends, and neighbors, and colleagues is by inviting them along to our next Alpha course. Just simply lift a, an invitation on your way out this, this morning. They're sitting in the welcome desk. Give it to them and just pray about it. If they say no, don't worry about it. Just keep praying and never give up. Just remember that all we can do is point people towards Jesus. And if they reject him, that is their own choice. There's nothing that we can do about it. Sometimes we just need to accept that for many people in our society today, finding, or they find the word of God offensive. It just doesn't fit into the lifestyles that they want to live in. Verses 3 to 4 in our reading tells us this. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, they will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever their rich and ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase off their myths. My Bible commentary says this. You can see this today, everywhere today, from liberal churches to university campuses. People claiming to have a little bit more enlightenment than what the dusty old Bible has to say. People claiming to improve on God's word. Such people have several things in common. Number one, they do not tolerate the truth. They have no interest or respect for absolute truth or any standard of judgment. Number two, they retract truth for sensationalism. They want truth that fits their situation and makes sense for them. 
what they feel, what works for them, what seems compelling. That is their truth, and they claim an absolute right to it. No one should even attempt to tell them differently. And number three, they gather viewpoints to suit their selfish desires. And the reason false teachers have a following is because they are twisting the truth and telling people whatever the rich and ears want to hear. Deuteronomy 4 verse 2 says, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God I command you. We need to be aware that the devil is devious, cunning, and the prince of lies, and will do everything he can to keep people from knowing the truth. Because as Jesus said in John 8 verse 32, that knowing the truth will set you free. Unfortunately, it's so easy for Satan to twist the word of God because so many Christians today don't know the word of God. Many Christians don't read the Bible for themselves or their quiet time with God is simply five minutes in the morning reading the word for the day or another um, similar devotional. As Christians, we are called to be disciples of Jesus, pupils learning from the master and following his ways as we strive to become more like him which is why it is so important for us to spend time in his word. Can I, it's, we're coming to the end of the year. Um, can I encourage you just to, to read, get a good Bible in a year reading plan. Start on the 1st of January. And there are so many plans to choose from. And here's the thing, if you don't like reading, you can listen to it in audio. So nobody has any excuse. And if you've struggled, if you've, you're struggling to find a good plan, come and speak to me or David or Karen or one of the team and we'll help you find a good plan. You see, Satan does not want us to be set free from his kingdom. When Jesus returns and the devil is cast into hell, he wants to take as many people as he can with him. Please don't fall for his lies. When the time comes for you to stand before Jesus in judgment, please make sure that you've been standing before the judgment seat of Christ waiting on your rewards and not before the great white throne discovering that your name is not in the book of life. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, why not do it this morning and enter into the new year 2020 as a new creation in Christ? If you want to take that step this morning, um, I'm just going to say a simple prayer. And all you have to do is just, just say these words and hand your life over to him and enter from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Everyone, just close your eyes. And if that's you this morning, just simply say this prayer. Jesus, when I stand before you to be judged, I want to stand before you as a sinner forgiven. I am sorry for the things I have done wrong and for trying to live life my way and not yours. I thank you for dying on the cross for me so that I can be forgiven and set free. Today, I want to enter into your kingdom, the kingdom of light. I accept you as my Lord and Savior and ask you to come into my life by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And if you said that prayer this morning for the first time, um, please don't believe in without um, speaking to myself or David or, or one of his team. Um, there's people be up at the front that would love to pray for you and we've also wee packs at the back that would love to give you one. Thank you.